Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to part two. It is I, John Robbins, landlord of the moon underwater, and with me, two wonderful companions uh, in the pub this evening, as ever, the regular, the lovely Robin Allender, and Laura Thompson, author and expert on pretty much everything, uh, including, but not limited to, racing, greyhounds, the Mitford sisters, ballet, Agatha Christie, pubs, and Lord Lucan. Wowzers. And if you're thinking that would make her a superb pub quiz team member, well, let's find out, because we're heading back to Robin for the answers to this week's Moon Underwater pub quiz. Thanks, John. So this week we were looking at the origins of pub names, um, according to Albert Jack in his brilliant book, The Old Dog and Duck, The Secret Meanings of Pub Names. So I gave you three pub names and a multiple choice of three for the kind of derivation of them. So the first one was the cross keys. And I said, A, is it a reference to the New Testament in which St. Peter is promised the keys to heaven by Jesus? B, a sign that the pub was also a B&B? Or C, a reminder that the pub would have been closed during the English Civil War? What, what do you think for that one, Laura? I'm, I'm going to get all these wrong. In fact, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm resigned to that. But I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go for A, Robin. A, okay. John, what are you saying for that? I've also gone for A. You you two are bang right. It is A. It's a, Great. Yes, it's a reference to the New Testament. Excellent. The keys. So two was the Eagle and Child, lovely pub in Oxford that Tolkien and C.S. Lewis frequented. Does the Eagle and Child come from A, a pub that was frequented by falconers and their children? B, a pub which faces the rising sun, an eagle being the heraldic symbol for the sun? Or C, a reference to a 14th century nobleman, who tried to convince his wife that the illegitimate son he fathered with his maid had actually been delivered to them by an eagle. You know, C, C is so out there that I'm a bit tempted by it. I know I know this pub, so I'm intrigued by the real answer. I'm going to go for B. B, the heraldic symbol for the sun. Okay, John, what are you saying? Well, I have an inkling. Ooh, good, good. That it might be C. 
It is C. Wow. It is C. Yeah, How amazing. Yeah. Um, I think his wife believed him as well. But it was to do with this nobleman wanted to have a son and he didn't uh, to, to kind of hand down his estate. Um, they had a daughter. And so he had an affair with the maid, had a son, claimed it had been delivered by an eagle. The wife believed him. But then when he died, the estate went to the daughter anyway. So she, maybe she didn't believe him. Anyway, that's that one. Good story. The swan with two necks. Is it A, a creature from English folklore that terrorised Norfolk? B, a corruption of two nicks, a reference to how Queen Elizabeth I's swans were identified in a swan census? Or was it C, a pub that served food as well as drink, therefore requiring a neck for ale and a neck for meat, with an old folk song as well, which I won't repeat. Those are so brilliant. What, what do you think, Laura? Christ, it, it, this is serious potluck. A, A, I'm going to say A. A, in, a creature from English folklore that yeah. terrorised Norfolk. Yeah. Okay, John? Oh, I went B and then I crossed it out and put C, so I'm going C. It is B. Ah! It was to do with the swans. There was a kind of census that took place, and it was to do with the, the Queen's swans were identified with two nicks. And it kind of derived from that. I made up the English folk song this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> can you can you can you read the lyric that you made up again? A neck for ale, thee shall need, and a neck for meat as well. The swan shall give thee both these things, as surely time will tell. You can tell I kind of ran out of inspiration with the fourth line. I think. I think that's really good <laughs> stuff, man. It is. It's it's bloody brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> can you can you play the guitar or something? Can you can you? Yeah, do, I could. Go, I should, go I should do that. I should do that for the next patrons poem. Do a version of my swan with swan with two necks. For, for yeah, the show. or for the next behind the cellar door, which fun fact, folks, is the bonus podcast you get if you subscribe to us on Patreon. You could sing the swan with two necks. The 14th century folk song you made up yourself. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, there is a pub. There's an, it's, I think it's quite a new pub, but it's, well, there's one in Bristol in St. Jude. So I have to go there next time I'm in Bristol. But there we go. Well, fantastic and very inventive pub quiz there, Robin. But we return to Laura Thompson's dream pub, where the evening is phased and the smells of the pub are still on your nose long after you have ventured home. And the magic of memory is available on draft. Uh, so far, we have Whitbread Tankard and Whitbread Trophy on draft. We have Puile Fuise, which I think is the first time I've pronounced it correctly uh, in five attempts, but served in a Liebfrau milch bottle so as not to seem too highfalutin. And Noily Pratt in order to create a gin and French. Well, to that end, Laura, you've got two spirit choices. Are we going to complete the, the marriage of Noily Pratt and gin? There's no French without gin, right? Just normal gin, okay? Not gin with bloody beetroot in it or orange smarties in it or whatever. <laughs> I, really, I just, I'm, I'm sure you've had other people say this. I just don't get this gin thing. Um, I drink it so seldom that just to have Gordon's gin is 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 a mega treat. It really is. Uh, it's beautiful. I think. Uh, I'm sure there are others, but it's it's um, well, there obviously are others. But I I love it. So that thing I was saying earlier about there was there were t t 
there were two uh, alternatives in this pub, but one no one ever had. So there was a bottle of Gordon's gin, which was going like the clappers. And then beside it, there was a bottle of beef eaters gin, which nobody, it was like it was poison. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Why? I have no idea. But anyway, Gordon's gin, perfect. That's fine by me. Absolutely love it. So um, I like, you know, I like, I'm very plain in my tastes about these things. Yeah, but I mean, because of all this gin craze, people forget that Gordon's gin is a really nice gin. It's beautiful. There's no doubt about that. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, it's a, yeah. It's, I, it's I, when I was a big gin and tonic drinker, which I'm not anymore, I, I got quite snooty about gin. And I've since sort of learnt the error of my ways because... There's something so iconic about the Gordon's bottle and and you can either see it as being like the sort of bog standard one or you can I can really imagine it in a 1940s pub looking like it does now. I do quite I can imagine you know Patrick Hamilton writing about a pub with with Gordon's there in that green bottle. Um and yeah, you know, if I could have any gin I'd probably I might go for a Tankery number no. 10 or a Miller's. But the Gordon's does have a lot of nostalgia in its appearance. It is an elegant bottle. I've never really thought about it because it's so, the font and everything. It is elegant, very elegant. Yes, Patrick Hamilton, yes, that's um, that's a beautiful thought. Did you read many sort of novels about pubs before writing uh, The Last Landlady or was it all just sort of from, from memory, from your own word hoard? It, w- it was unbelievably from, um, I love that, the word horde, I love that. Yes, it was unbelievably uh, all there. I've never experienced that, but I always thought that was just a, a, a cliche. But it, it really was all there. But I do, you know, I worship Patrick Hamilton and um, I do love the old devils. And I also love Elizabeth Taylor is one of my favourite novelists. And I love that image of her when she lived in Penn, you know, which is just a long, lovely road, her walking up to the, I think it's the crown at Penn, more or less every night and sitting there and just listening to people. Um, and her, she has some really good pubs in her novels, I think. You begin the, um, the, the, the last landlady with a quote from Jean Reese as well. I mean, she, we've done Good Morning Midnight on um, the pub library before. I think you're, which is brilliant. I loved it. But yeah, this one's from from Quartet, which is, that sounds fantastic as well. Oh, yes, that about how life, life becomes simple when you have a glass of white wine and stare out of the yeah. She said it a bit better than that. But yes, it's, it's uh, oh God, Good Morning Midnight. Oh my God. I just reread that book. It just literally, I was open mouthed. When she kind of gets going on her, that's that tone and style and 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 uh, and of course genuine emotion. I mean, it's a, a, a it's a majestic, isn't it? Yeah, it's just amazing, just amazing. So, I mean, like you know, people, you know, stream of consciousness that mm. gets used a lot, but it does feel like really like you're listening into someone thinking and the voices they they say to themselves and everything. It's yeah. just so brilliant. But she's so she's so on on her game, isn't she? That she yeah. that it, it, every 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 shift from sentence to sentence, you just feel it could be no other way. It's um oh god, I must hear you talking about that. That's um I'd love that. 
Yeah, I can't remember which episode that it was. It was in. the live one. I think it was the one with self esteem. Might have been, or was it Izzy Sooty? I think it might have been. Or Izzy it could Sooty. have been. No, it was Izzy Sooty with the because there was that quote about the chains around her feet. Yeah, yeah, that was it. But we're only one spirit into your spirit choices. We've got Gordon's gin. So what's next? Well, again, um, possibly a bit disappointing. I'm going to have uh, teacher's whiskey. Because, and I'm not going to decant a Glamourangie into it or anything like that. I, um, I really like, as I say, I really like these plain old-fashioned drinks. I, th- I think they're, um, it's like, you know, what's better than a baguette and a chunk of some really good cheese or whatever. I'm so not, I'm very non um kind of recherche in my tastes. I don't know. So to me, just a because I very rarely have whiskey, uh, just a, a whiskey with a bit of ice and beautiful, gorgeous. Mm, mm. Well, we were talking about this the other week that that actually if, if people are sniffy about blends of whiskey, it's mad because they're, bl- they're blended by people who care about the taste of whiskey, even if they're not very sort of uh, old or aged or you know, they've not got a huge magic and mystique and romance about the specific type of peat that that, that is fired near whatever still they use. It's not to slight single malts, but teachers is quite nice, quite sweet. It is a bit sweet. That's the only thing. But um, I don't mind it. No, good. I'm glad my very, very banal tastes are going down. Well, you're very... Yeah, but it's another one of the kind of nostalgic association, isn't it, I think, of, uh, you know, that you can picture it there on a, you know, next to the Gordons. <laughs> well, it was what all the farmers used to have, the farmers, when the farmers came in and by the end of one round, they started up another one. But, I mean, a whiskey doesn't take very long to drink. I mean, it's that's the only problem with a whiskey. You know, a glass of wine, you can kind of spin it out a bit. But it's... Um, it's, it's I don't know. I don't know how how much you have to drink to get bored with the really simple ones. I don't. I don't know. But maybe that's not the way to look at it. But but, <laughs> but your your choices when you put them all together, they uh, it's like you're creating my perfect pub in a novel because my dream novel is like 1940s, early 50s, late 30s, urban boarding house kind of mystery so like london belongs to me by norman collins or slaves of solitude by patrick hamilton i love those pubs so much and i love those books so if you have any more recommendations i've just bought two um stella gibbons books is that sort of have i made the right choice there she's not a pub person i wouldn't say but that's um not the only criterion that we uh uh, what what have you got? Cold Comfort Farm. Um, no, I got a Starlight and the Bachelor. Starlight. Have you read those, Robin? No, I haven't. No, no. I seem to think I have read Starlight and really liked it, but I can't remember. It's a bit. Yeah, I think I have read it, but I can't. That's not very good, is it? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also just finished The Weather in the Streets. Oh, so good. That is. Um, that is an outrageous book. Who's that it's by? So good, um, Rosamond Lehman. Okay, great. I'll check that out. But it's Slaves of Sol. I think Slaves of Solitude is my favourite novel. Actually, I think it is. Really? I think so. It's so good when there's that scene when they're having the pink gins, and the girl is sort of aware that 
I think the guy is trying to get her drunk. So she's sort of, she has this one pink gin, which to be honest, would be like five units because, you know, it's basically a glass of gin. Is, is Slaves of Solitude one of the trilogy or is it? No, no, it's, it's about a boarding house as I, I just think all the best novels are about boarding houses. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. Have you read Brighton Rock, John? No, but I've just bought the end of the affair. Okay, cool. Bright, you'd love Brighton Rock. I mean, that sounds very up your street. Going to whack it. Whack. Oh, I've got Brighton Rock. I just haven't read it. Oh, well, I've got so much reading to do about <laughs> yeah. pubs in the 40s. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bit in Coming Up for Air would probably be my favourite novel if the guy didn't wasn't made to feel nauseous by the pint he has in the pub. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's such a good detail that he sort of doesn't really want to be drinking and it's too early in the day and it just makes him feel a bit, his tummy a bit upset. But but Patrick Hamilton is is really terrifying in that book, isn't he? Because he sort of says, oh, Miss Roach felt a little bit swimmy after having four gins or something. She wasn't really a drinker. She didn't know what it was like to be drunk. And you just think how much, would, well, we know how much he was putting away, but he regards what we would call, well, what I would call paralytic as a bit swimmy. You know, yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's going on to a whole other... Yeah. Whatever, yeah. I love that phrase being a bit tight as well. Yeah, yeah. There's a kinks kinks song with that in, isn't there? I just the one thing that I feel quite frustrated by. So my, I cannot read books about bad people getting away with it. It's my one like narrative that I can't deal with. So I had to give up on the Gorse trilogy because I just knew I could see it almost sort of like a road being laid out before me that this guy was not going to get his comeuppance. And I thought, I just can't deal with that. But he does, it is implied at the end of um, Mr. Stimpson that he is going to get his comeuppance. He says something like he wouldn't die naturally or something like that. So is that but one I could, But it's 600 pages of him getting it over on people. I'm not sure I could have got through it. <laughs> God, I love him. I love him. I don't know. That's not, that's bad really, isn't it? But I just, um, and that pub where he meets Mrs. Plumley Bruce, the friar with the baronial, where it's been yielded or something as he calls it, where it's with the baronial motifs and all that kind of thing. And you can just, you know, it sounds like such a bad pub. Mm, yielded is great. Like that's a great way of putting it, that kind of, the kind of, pubs trying to make themselves look older than they are kind of thing. That's great. Do you know, do you know where the word ye comes from? So in Old English, there were two ra- ways of writing th. There was the eth and the thorn. The thorn, yeah. And the thorn was for the sound and the eth was for the th sound. So a thorn looks like a p but with the loop halfway down it. When they first started using typewriters or set type, they didn't have a symbol for thorn, and the closest they could use was a Y. So thorn E was how you wrote the, became Y E, but originally it was pronounced the. So ye isn't actually a word, it's the, but with the closest uh, letter they could get to F, uh, thorn, sorry. Fascinating. But fun fact. Uh, <laughs> Had to listen to 100 hours of the uh, History of English podcast to get to that nugget, but it was worth it. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. So, 
we've got Gordon's Gin, we've got Teacher's Whiskey, and now we're heading to the library, Robin. And we've we've had a little uh, taster of what might be in the library tonight, so take it away. Thanks, John. Yeah, as I mentioned before, this week in the pub library, it's um, Albert Jack's book, The Old Dog and Duck, The Secret Meanings of Pub Names. And I particularly like this one about the Bag and Nails, which is um, another great pub in Bristol, the Cat Pub. Some people might know it know it as, run by my friend Luke Daniels, who's a good, very good egg. But so some people say Bag of Nails comes from the fact that it might have been a pub was converted from an ironmonger's or blacksmith's, etc. Or that it had something to do with a kind of joke where you go in and... Uh, what's a hoary old joke where a man walks into a pub and asks for a room... The sign says that it's one shilling for the night or six pence if you make your own bed. When the man chooses to make his own bed, the landlord gives him some wood and a bag of nails. <laughs> you know? But this is a brilliant theory. I really like this one. So the bag of nails sounds a very utilitarian name for a pub, but a fascinating theory about its origins comes all the way from classical mythology. The name, try saying it fast a couple of times, could well be a corruption of bacchanals, which were the celebrations of the Roman god of wine. Bacchus wasn't just the god of wine, however, he was also the god of ritual madness, and his rites were characterized by maniacal dancing to the sound of loud music, in which his followers, who were mostly female, whirled around, screamed, became drunk, and incited one another to greater and greater ecstasy. Some of you may be now nodding your heads, realizing there must be rather more going on than meets the eye on a Saturday night at the Bag of Nails. So there we go. Very good. I like that, that it was a kind of derived from Bacchanals. Did you, had you heard that before, either of you? I did not, no. No, no, no. That, but I've, that's, that's beautiful. Hey, uh, Robin, have they got one? Um, there's a pub around here called The Case is Altered, and we've oh, never, wow. never, ever known what that means. Um, oh, yeah, I've got it. I've got it oh, here. Oh, go yeah. on. Excellent. It says, a legal expression or a Spanish strip club. <laughs> okay. <laughs> one suggestion. Okay, The Case is Altered. There are several pubs in England going by this name, all with the addition of a single letter, the cause is altered. And drinkers have often debated long into, ni- into the night the origins of this unusual pub name. One suggestion involving the case is altered in Bentley is that the first landlady had been famously easygoing about the payment of bar bills until she married, that is, and her new husband took a, a rather different view, um, altering the situation. Uh, in Dover, the cause is altered is thought to have been named to indicate to foreign travellers that England was no longer a Catholic country. That's a good one. Another theory stems from the time when farmers and herdsmen would stop at the inn on the way to market. The pub's name, a corrupted version of a local expression, the cows are halted. That sounds like rubbish. <laughs> um, uh, let's just see if there's one more theory. This time based on a pub in Harrow suggests a phrase imported from Spain during the Peninsular War. British soldiers taking a rest from the fighting would have been entertained at a house of dancing, possibly an early type of strip club, or in Spanish, Casa de Salta, which could have been corrupted over time to cases altered. So that's that's so few theories going on there. I like the Dover one. I think that's really yeah. that's, the cause is altered. That's that's great. brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> I've just looked it up in my dictionary of pub names. Okay, <laughs> which gives all of those, um, but it says. Uh, a phrase first used by Edmund Plowden, a lawyer. It referred to the effect of new evidence on the case he was dealing with in court. The phrase seems to have become almost proverbial. It was taken up by Ben Johnson for his comedy The Case is Altered, written before 1599. And often 
pubs were used for sort of um, assizes and and trials. So it, it may well be illegal. A legal phrase. Very fascinating mm. stuff. We covered a lot of ground in this episode. Yeah, <laughs> this is great. So, re- repeat the name of the book and the author, please, Robin. So that's Albert Jack, and the book is called The Old Dog and Duck, The Secret Meanings of Pub Names. And in it goes, on the shelf, next to Laura's book, The Last Landlady, which we recommend everyone listening uh, grab a copy of, because it's a fantastic history of a pub, but also in many ways history of all pubs and history of memory and desire, which we absolutely love here at the Moon Underwater. But we also have a jukebox here, Laura, and we need you to select an album to go on the Moon Underwater pub jukebox. And it's any album that you would like to hear when you walk into your dream pub. I mean, this is this is the difference between uh, a perfect pub and a dream pub, because it, ideally, I'd walk in and I'd hear Beggar's Banquet, and I would think, "Okay, this is great. I'm in. I'm in heaven. This is the best pub in the world." But I'm not going to have that because if I had Beggar's Banquet, I would sit there. I wouldn't talk to the person that I was with. <laughs> I wouldn't engage with. Them. I would be sitting there, probably singing, you know, "Oh, this bit's really good." Blah blah blah. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to revert to the dream of nostalgia, and I'm going to have. Sincerely, Brenda Lee, which was um, an album that came out in 1962, which my grandmother had in her fairly extensive collection. She had much better albums than that because her boyfriend was a musician. So she had Bessie Smith and Jose Feliciano and people like But Brenda Lee was what got everybody going. If you put her on at Christmas, if you put her on on New Year's Eve, people would go mad. They would go mad. It was like a football chant almost. Um, it's sort of the equivalent of, of uh, I don't know, I was going to say Wonderwall, but that's really, <laughs> that's really weak. But, but Brenda Lee doing those kind of, um, what I call in the book, her sweet little girl's heckle, sort of sent everybody insane. And I can also see my beloved dad, who used to drink in there, obviously, um, and in fact, met my mother in there and how he would just, how his face would change with delight when he'd had the right amount to drink, when Brenda sort of took off. So I would have that. Amazing. It's sort of interesting that it's not a period of music that's really discussed that much, the very early 60s, because, you know, a lot of the 50s is talked about in terms of the roots of rock music and the development of a certain genre of music. But we we don't know much about, or certainly aren't told much about what was popular in like 1960, 61, 62, because we sort of assume it was, everything was a foreshadowing of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, but that's not necessarily the case. No, that's that. it's really interesting because, um, you know, when my mother talks about, well, she really liked Ray Charles, so she's allowed to like these other not quite so good things. But, you know, when you talk about people like, yeah, Connie Francis and um, uh, not that she liked her, but that kind of, uh, and who else would there have been? People like K-Star or I suppose Alma Cogan and people like that. And it is, it's like, a, you can't imagine, can you? Because, as you say, we just think, well, guys, it's going to get a lot better really soon. So, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's really Alma Cogan's a fascinating figure. Um, 
I mean, there's a brilliant novel by Gordon Byrne called Alma Cogan, which is ju- just an imagine she hadn't died in the 60s. But there's also, I found out recently, there's a kind of rumour that John Lennon had an affair with her. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. And he was absolutely distraught when she died. How interesting. She was. She would have been quite a bit older than him. But, well, maybe not that much older, but it's. I thought that was really kind of an interesting fact. Wow. But yeah, yeah. But I, I suppose, it's, again, it's that early 60s thing where, you know, they, they would have crossed paths because it was that kind of generation seeding to the next one kind of thing. Yeah. But that book is brilliant, isn't it? Gordon Burns. Yeah, book. it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so dark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Little lover, won't you come on back to me? The sky was blue and high above. The moon was new and so was love. This eager heart of mine was singing. Lover, where can you be? You came at last. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hello, I'm Dave Berry, and I am fascinated by my next-door neighbour. His name is Neil Srinivasan, and he's a leading cardiologist. Since I moved to this particular part of London, Neil and I have started to become friends. Our polite greetings over the fence turned into garden barbecues and drinks down the local pub. But with unfettered access to someone with a job that is so far removed from my own, I'm desperate to find out more about his industry, one that is quite literally a matter of life and death. In Doctor Next Door, I'll be doing my utmost to learn all about Neil as a medical professional, but also Neil as a person. Because, believe it or not, even doctors have lives outside of the operating theatre. But this podcast isn't just here to feed my own curiosities. I want you to be involved in these conversations too. I can't wait to get into this. So make sure you subscribe or follow Doctor Next Door from wherever you usually get your podcasts. So playing on the jukebox here at the Moon Underwater, Sincerely by Brenda Lee. But one choice remains for Laura Thompson and that choice will be joining Whitbread Tankard and Trophy on draft. Puile uh, Fuise, housed in a bottle of Lee Brown Milch, Noily Pratt, Gordon's Gin and Teacher's Whiskey. But Laura Thompson, what's your wild card? It's either going to be barley wine or parfait amour. 
because um, the, 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 you know, the kind of hierarchy of shelves at the back of that bar, right down the bottom were these things that nobody, they were like, you know, don't, don't even look at them. They're so strong. Um, and one of those was barley wine, uh, which someone came into that pub who was after me. I always got people like this. And he had five and sort of tumbled down the garden. He couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it was it was so strong. Well, so everyone said, I don't know whether it was, but you 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 know, oh my god, everyone was in fear of it. And then above the optics, so you had all your beautiful sort of gleaming packets of Dunhill and all that kind of thing. But you had these liqueurs, which to me as a kid looked like jewels. You know, creme de menthe looked oh, so pretty and. Um, uh, green goddess looked like nobody ever had these things, and there was one called Parfait Amour, which looked like amethyst, and it was um, I think it was described as rum flavored with rose petals. So we make of that what we will. Absolutely disgusting, I would think, <laughs> but, but kind of pretty, and it would remind me of the the you know being a kid and looking at those the way the light sort of refracted off those bottles and off the mirror behind the behind the bottles. And it was this kind of multiplicity, like an almost infinity of light that, that made this bar look so beautiful. And so I think rather than the deadly barley wine, I'll go for the, the lovely Parfait Amour because I'm all right, because I've got my Pouli Fouisse. I don't give a... None of these other... It doesn't matter. Um, and it, <laughs> 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 and it will look nice. It will look yeah. nice. So parfait amour. Has anyone else ever had parfait amour? No. I've looked it up in my mind and I can I can think I can taste. I bet it tastes a bit like Parma violets. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, when he said the amethyst, I thought that was kind of what I thought that it might taste like. It, it, I mean, it's it's so, the name as well, it's like a, you know, it's like a bad scent, isn't it? And the Parfait Amour in that pub where Amour was anything but Parfait, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my but God. I like the way you've chosen a drink just for how it looks, though, as well. I don't think anyone's done that before, just the way the bottle looks, you know. That's it was nice. pretty. It was really pretty. I might try it. I'll try it, you know, as long as, I, as long as I've got plenty of ice, as long as the, the ice machine's working. It, it, you know, when that ice machine arrived, it changed changed everything in that bar. I was the world's worst barmaid. I was terrified. I was terrified of the barrel needing changing. I was terrified of the customers. They always used to say, oh no, love, I gave you a tenner, not a fiver, you know, and I'd tamely hand back more change than they were meant to have. I was, and then they'd say a whiskey mac or something, and I didn't know what it was. I mean, it was just, I was, I, but I so wanted to be like my grandmother and have that kind of what I thought of as female confidence, but um, it, it was, you know, I got something else out of it. But I was, I was, I was, I was the world's worst. I really was. And when, and, and when there was no, no ice, it was like the end of the world, you know. Well, thank, thank goodness you weren't a great barmaid because then the world would have been denied all of your books. Well, so perhaps it's a good thing. That's beautifully put. Thank you very Oh, and no till. You had to add it up on a bit of bloody paper. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, I only did it up to the age of 15 and then I was sort of politely let go. <laughs> <laughs> 
you're barred. You now also have the opportunity to adopt a slightly more officious role as a barmaid or landlady of your dream pub, and you're allowed to outlaw anything or behaviour in your dream pub which annoys you or puts you off going to the pub. Can I say food? Yes, please. I'm going to say food. Not, not for, you know, not absorbent, you know, like a bag of peanuts, because you need that. Uh, that's keeping you going for more alcohol. But, um, or the chunk of cheese that we, that you so beautifully conjured when I walked in. Um, but I mean, food as the reason you're there, that to me is not pub-like. And I know that's really, really not the attitude today. And I completely understand why pubs do it. And I have every sympathy and some of them are brilliant, but it's, it's just not my idea of a, of a pub, I suppose. It's, it's uh, when I say pub, I mean a kind of boozer, you know, would it be more accurate to say you're banning meals? Yeah. Banning meals, banning, banning. That's why you're there. If you, if you feel really hungry and, and want five packets of sorted peanuts, that's, that's absolutely fine. So I'm guessing the things that would be allowed in your pub would be slice of sausage roll served on a small plate. Yeah, that's good. Mm. Uh, scotch egg. Yeah, oh, well, that's come up for debate before, hasn't it? I mean, is that um, a full Is meal? that a meal? <laughs> but yeah. Not, a, not well, a fancy scotch egg. Like literally it's in the fridge at the back of the bar. Yeah. And you can slice it and have a bit of mustard if on it. If anyone wants it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What, what about r- what about rolls rolls wrapped in cling film? Ooh, what about? I don't know, Is that pushing that's, it? That's, that's pushing it. That's it. it. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> Did your grandmother do any sort of, what what would have been the snacks and food in that pub? Yes, when she got into it, they were gorgeous. They were the most beautiful sandwiches and what have you and and pies and stuff, but she really resented it. I mean, it was if anyone had seen that kitchen Jesus Christ, with the, with, you know, I mean, nowadays, I don't, I, with these two little chihuahuas going around licking everything. And I mean, Jesus Christ, but they were really popular. People, people loved it, but she did resent it. I think that came from her father. I think when he, I think he maybe had a memory of that World War One thing where pubs were kind of, uh, you know, they had to do what the government said, didn't they? In a in in a in an extreme way, and I think they did. They have to serve food in World War One or something. I don't know, but they were much more, you know, uh, licensing hours and all that kind of thing were limited, and it was much more. You weren't really allowed to treat them like a pub, um, and I think that he, he that thing he used to say a pub's a pub's not a cafe. A pubs are, you know, I, I think she inherited that mentality and thought that a pub, uh, it, that food was in some way uh, decadent in a way that drink was not. I mean, it's so ridiculous. I don't know. There's just something about people sitting, having a drink, maybe a packet of crisps open between them that is different and that to me has a an intensity of conviviality that somehow food neutralises. Well, food creates silence because you can't talk while you're eating it if you've if you've got good manners. That's true. But it, it's also, it, I think it neutralises that slight, if I say an air of danger, that's massively overstating the case. But I, I, when I walk into a pub, I like to feel a slight, not tension, but just a tensing of, 
I'm I'm going into a different arena now, and I and I'm uh, I don't know. It, it, it's it's something that's not food. Food is comfort. Food is cozy. Food is you know making you feel sort of a bit soporific, maybe. Yeah. Well, also, I think for me, and I've chased this feeling for twenty years, but that feeling of an empty stomach, but not like starving hungry. So you've eaten something about two hours ago and you're ready for the for drink. And if I ate a meal, if I ate like fish and chips in a pub, I just wouldn't want to go anywhere near a pint for for the rest of the day. What's that great? There's a great bit in Ulysses with, uh, I felt that pint hit my the pit of my stomach with a click. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I really God. like that. <laughs> but yeah, that kind of, but that kind of, yeah, I know what you mean. My dad always liked going to the pub before uh, dinner. It was never it was never a post-dinner thing. It was always kind of going at half five, six kind of thing. Yeah, I, I had recently, like, a group of friends were meant to be meeting up and it got cancelled because of COVID, but they said, oh, we'll go for a curry and then we'll go to a few pubs. And I thought, are you insane? <laughs> like, what, so I'm going to eat a curry yeah. and then go to four pubs? That just wouldn't be possible. I'd just go, I'd just have to go home. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. it. It's a change of the sort of internal weather, isn't it? You lose that edge. I don't know. Oh, the internal weather, Laura, you've absolutely put your finger on it. My internal weather is so changeable. Yes. And that, you know, I know, I don't know whether people with young women, whether they feel that they can I hope they do, that they can just go and sit in the pub the way that a man would. I'm sure they do. Um, and and I don't have any problem with going and sitting in a pub on my own, but I wouldn't want to sit in a pub and eat a bloody meal. I would I would sit there with my glass of wine and my bag of peanuts, and I quite often go there and do some work, actually, because it's that shift of consciousness that sometimes loosens your head up in some way, and then you go into something else, and then the moment's gone and you're a bit drunk. But... It's just an alertness, I suppose, or a, I don't know, I just, it's just... It's a keenness that food is, food is not about feeling sort of keen and in the moment. Food is sort of about, well, for me, it's eating as quickly as you can and then feeling sad. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think, um, I associate, I love pubs when it's that kind of start of an evening feeling, you know, and like, I always love that before going to a gig... Uh, you know, seeing a band or something, meeting someone in a pub before. And that always, that excitement and that building of excitement, that's when pubs are brilliant. Beautiful. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's beautiful. Absolutely. So no food. That seems to have gone down, dare I say, quite well, actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm... I'm anti. I'm, I'm. I mean, I'm not anti it because I want to support pubs, and I know that's where they make most of their money. So I get it, but as as I've said many times, nothing makes my heart sink more than walking into a pub and just smelling horseradish sauce and fat and batter and triple cooked chips. That can fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry up, please. It's time. We cannot thank you enough for your time. Uh, and insight and turn of phrase, may I say, some spectacular quotes being pulled from uh, this episode of The Moon Underwater. But we have to give your pub a name. So, so much of what you've chosen has harked back to your 
grandmother's yeah. pub. Yeah, and can I just say, you never mention the name of the pub in the book. Is that right? No, I don't. No, no, that's absolutely right. Um, partly cowardice, because I didn't want people around here sort of, you know, mind you, most of the people in that book are dead. Um, but I was partly keeping it sort of as, as um, low-key as possible in terms of, you know, local to the pub, but also just to keep it generic, really, in a way, even though it isn't, it's it's highly specific. She was a very particular type of person, but she was in her soul a landlady. And I do think that pub, although it was, you know, you could, there were specific things about it, it had the essence of what a good pub is. It really did. And that's what I, that's what the, the book is about. And what a good pub, that view of life that, that, that I think, I think a pub is really important. I think they're really important. I think they give you a view on life that is kind of moderate. And we live in an age of hysteria, one way or another. And there's something about that going into a pub, that beautiful, welcoming chink of light and dusty and, you know, welcoming and oh, beautiful. And you just decompress and it's just sane in a way that celebrates normality, makes normality and ordinariness something really beautiful and precious. And I think, particularly now, I think it's really bloody important. So that's what the book is about. So I didn't name it because I wanted it to be more general, I suppose. You wanted it to be in every pub. Yeah, is it, does that sound? I mean, that's beautifully put. I mean, that kind of is. Yeah. But you also you want people to be able to see themselves in it and to attach it to their own imaginations because everyone's imagination of what it would look like would be sort of skewed by their experiences and and that's what you're talking about a shared it's a shared experience even though it's a very specific memory and account. That that's 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 what I was trying to do. Yeah, and a couple of people have written to me and said. Laura, I know you're writing about the two brewers in Godalming, or I know you're doing that. <laughs> and it's, that's so great. I love that. That's so nice. But I'm not. Um, I don't know how anyone could think that pub was in Godalming with all those farms. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yes, that was what I wanted to do because without being precious or pompous about it, I really think pubs matter, you know, to, particularly to this country in some odd way. I do. Well, the pub that matters most right now is your dream pub, and it still doesn't have a name. So I'm going to have to press you on this. Absolutely. Well, you know, I love Patrick Hamilton. You love Patrick Hamilton. So I'm going to call it the Midnight Bell. Oh, yes. Lovely. Great. great. <laughs> good. I'm glad that went Brilliant. Down. So good. Well, the Midnight Bell... Laura Thompson has been a joy to create and the midnight bell now tolls for us all uh, because we have to set you free from this most correct of realms and if possible could you pick a track from Sincerely by Brenda Lee to play you out this evening? It can only be Lazy River. Lazy River. Well we thank you so much for your time. It's just been a complete joy to speak to you and we wish you all the best for your next book what's your next book going to be about mountains snorkeling <laughs> the olympics give me an idea for god's sake because i don't have one <laughs> I don't, i've run out of things i love i think uh no that's not true i will i will be inspired at some point but this 
Guys, what can I say? I have loved this so much. I just wish we were all in that pub. Really, I do. And you were asking me asking me questions about something I actually know about. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Laura Thompson's Dream Pub, The Midnight Bell, with Whitbread Tankard, Whitbread Trophy, Puile Fuise, Noily Pratt, Gordon's Gin, Teacher's Whiskey, Parfait d'Amour, and Sincerely by Brenda Lee. On the jukebox, it's been a pleasure to create The Midnight Bell, and we wish you all the best. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 